I'd like to continue uh, an inquiry from last week, which was about how we can bring the power of meditation to stress. And I'd like to begin with one of the stories that some of you might remember that I feel is one of the greatest illustrations of um, the phenomenon. And this is a story of the magician Harry Houdini who traveled through Europe to all the small towns and he would demonstrate how he could, he could challenge local jailers to bind him in a straitjacket and to lock him in a cell. And over and over again, he'd amaze and astonish his audiences with how he could break out of a straitjacket and break out of the cell. But then he went to one small Irish village and ran into trouble because in front of a whole flock of, of uh, people, he broke free of the straitjacket, but no matter what he did, and he got tighter and more strained trying to get that lock open, he could not open the lock. So finally, disappointed, the townspeople left, and the jailer, he asked the jailer, you know, what kind of new complex lock was that? And the response was, it was not, it's just an ordinary lock. I just figured you knew how to do all these locks, so I didn't bother locking it. (laughs) In other words, he had been locking himself in. And I think of this, um, that his assumption had been that he was locked in. And so it is with us that we move through our day with an assumption of a problem you know, that there's um, something wrong that we have to figure out. And we tense up and we narrow our focus and we worry and we get busy and we're... And I mentioned this, how many of you notice how often you're trying to figure something out. And it's not always when there's something really right there. It's this habit of mind to think there's a problem. There's a, a saying that that we think that life is a problem to be solved rather than a mystery to be lived. So stress, and I I think of this as a stressing trance that we're in, It's it's an activity we're in, is that we feel in some way the something's wrong sense and then we do exactly the behaviors that keep perpetuating that sense. We get busy, we get tight, we speed up, and then that sends more messages to our body and our mind that, yes, in fact, we're locked up in jail. There is something wrong. So you might be thinking, but there really are problems. And there are. And our best way of responding, if we really want to access our intelligence and our... um, our love, our spontaneity, it's going to be when we step out of a chronic stressing trance and we're able to pause and widen our view. Otherwise, we're just like Houdini fiddling with that lock and locking ourselves in over and over. So tonight I'd like to talk about how we get trapped in the stressing trance and the way we move out. And most of you know that the three uh, main patterns of stressing are fight, are flight, fight, and freeze. Flight, you know, pushing away, moving away, pulling back, fight, moving towards, trying to push 
get rid of, and then freeze, contracting and getting stuck. And I'm going to contrast that to what deconditions us. Instead of flight, fight and freeze, how we can move towards tend, befriend and expand. Okay? Tend, befriend and expand. Or if you're more online a lot, tend, friend and and expand is fine too, either way. So we start with the roots of stress, which, whether it's from the Buddhist tradition or Western, is really a perception of separateness, on this separate endangered organism. We, rather than sensing a belonging or a part of, when we're stressed we feel isolated and depending on the degree more and more, we feel separate and we feel that either something's wrong or something's missing. And that propels us to that stressing activity. As I mentioned, when there's that basic perception, uh, flight is any way that we are pulling away and trying to leave unpleasantness. Fight is more of an attack mode. We move towards, we engage, we push at. And then freeze is that contraction or that stuckness. But then what happens, the Buddhists call it papancha. That's the Pali word. That we don't just fight, like blame or attack, but then it keeps proliferating. Papancha is proliferation. But it's a great word, isn't it? We go into papancha, you know, that's, that's our stressing trance. How does it proliferate? Well, we do one thing and then it creates more thoughts and another flush of biochemistry that then propels us to the next thing. So we flip back and forth from different fight, flight, fight, flight, freeze strategies. But we keep on like a wheel that's gone in motion. We just keep tumbling forward in it. I mentioned here before that the natural life of an emotion is approximately a minute and a half. That's how long it takes for it to move through our nervous system and our body. And in order for an emotion, including the the fearful qualities of of stress um, to stay, to lock in, we have to keep fueling it with thoughts. So if you want to understand the stressing trance, you have to understand that as long as we are generating and believing our fearful thoughts, we get locked in. We're like Houdini who's telling himself, there's got to be a way out if I just try this, maybe if I do this approach, maybe if I try this trick. We're always trying to find tricks to make ourselves more comfortable and at ease. Okay, so we keep on thinking and fueling the biochemistry of stress. Now what research has shown, and I find this really interesting, we know most of the components in the body-mind of the stressing uh, trance. We know the cortisol goes up and the adrenaline and we know the muscles tighten and, and so on. One of the elements of the stressing trance that I think is probably the most central is what happens to how you pay attention. When you're in the stressing trance, 
there's a narrow objective attention. And I, and I take that language from Les Femi who wrote The Open Focus Brain. You can use other words, but the idea is our focus gets tight and we pay attention either to our inner life or an outer life in a very rigid way. So rather than remembering the background to experience, remembering other people, remembering space, remembering other sounds, remembering love, we fixate on, it's very goal-oriented, what's wrong, what needs to happen, where we're going next. We forget the larger picture. And it's something that our culture worships. In other words, our culture trains us in this narrow attention. And children who daydream in school or don't keep their minds set on the task get punished. It's the beginning of learning that there's something wrong with you in terms of your um, intelligence, as if you don't... uh, come into this world and very quickly adapt to this culture's sense of how to pay attention. So part of what is essential if we're to wake up out of the stressing trance is to learn how to shift the way we pay attention. And the primary component here is that most of the time in this narrow objective focus we're paying attention to this incessant inner dialogue that's going on. One great Indian teacher was asked, how would you describe this world? And the response was, lost in thought. You know? So we try to move then from this fight-flight-freeze that's fueled by thoughts. You know, our, our flight is fueled by going off into the incessant inner dialogue of what's going to be wrong and what I need to do about it. And our fight is fueled by the thoughts of that person did something wrong and I'm going to get them. Or I did something wrong and I'm going to get me. That's fight too. Now freeze does not have the fueling of thoughts Usually when we're frozen, our mind can be frozen too. But then what freeze moves into is a pattern of fight-flight. And that is fueled by thoughts. So how we decondition. So we're going to move from flight, where we're leaving, to tend or attend. And I'm going to move through the three basic pieces that decondition stress. And the first one is tend or attend. How do we attend? Well, it's the training we're doing here, basically. We're learning to, instead of leaving in thoughts, we're over and over again learning to attend what, to what's happening here. So a painful emotion comes up. And if we look at it, when we're having a painful emotion, we are sending messages to ourselves about either what's wrong with us or what's going to go wrong and we're believing those thoughts. And that's basically the alchemy of a painful emotion. We're having thoughts and we're believing them and they're creating feelings in our body that, that drag us down. So we're creating a virtual reality in our mind when we're in the stressing trance and we're believing it. Some of you remember Mark Twain who said that the worst things in my life 
never actually happened. You remember that? Well, it's really interesting to me if you watch your mind either even just getting emails, but just listening to the news, how the news kind of drags around our attention. And what's the news that we listen to? It's not truly the news of the world. It's the news that the human mind rivets to because it's usually alarming. In fact, they can't sell good news. It doesn't attract attention. That's a whole different examination of how come, but... So what's the news we listen to? We get the news of cruelty and violence. Okay? We get the alarming news. It's not news of, of good deeds, sometimes heroic deeds, but that's really the exception. It's not the, the news of beauty and poetry and celebration and goodness. And yet that's true too, but that's not what we get. So we get this narrow objective attention, we're paying attention to the news media, and not only that, as we know, it's often inaccurate and skewed, and yet we believe that it affects our body-mind. I share with you, um, this is news also, these are considered the best verified newspaper headlines of the year. I'll just read a few of them. Police begin campaign to run down jaywalkers. <laughs> Ast- astronaut takes blame for gas in space. <laughs> Two sisters reunited after 18 years in the checkout counter. <laughs> Something went wrong in jet crash, experts say. Prostitutes appeal to Pope. <laughs> Stolen painting found by tree. (laughs) I'll read you, I'm just going to read you one more, I think. Marijuana issue sent to joint committee. (laughs) So you get the idea that we get different kinds of information with different amounts of accuracy. Now, we live as if what we're thinking is the actual reality. And when you're moving through the day, your mind's presenting thoughts, but you're actually experiencing like that's real, that's real life. And so the big question is that we, I mean, we know that thoughts are essential in navigating, but what are we paying attention to? I often say it's like our minds are like this kind of TV set that's going from channel to channel to channel, and how many of those channels are discovery channel, you know, in our minds. I mean, how often are we on, on channels that have to do with doom and gloom and worry and what's wrong? And so the question is, what are we paying attention to? Because what you're paying attention to will determine whether you're locking yourself in that cell or whether you can step out and, and experience fresh air. The Buddha said that whatever a person frequently reflects or thinks on, that will become the inclination of her mind. That's the way our mind goes, which means our body goes that way. If you're thinking worried thoughts, your body is getting a steady stream of more adrenaline and cortisol than it's probably happy with. So what are we thinking about? Are our thoughts arousing a sense of kindness? of interest, of possibility? Are our thoughts arousing a sense of a kind of tightness or separation or discontent? In science now they say that neurons that fire together 
wire together. So the more frequently you have certain kinds of thoughts, the more that's going to be the strong inclination. So meditation training, which to me is, is incredibly radical because it gives us the potential of stepping out of this, this dressing trance, is to start noticing the thoughts and waking up out of them and having some choice as to where we want to pay attention. I mean, the message is don't believe your thoughts. Use them. Let them be a servant, but don't believe them. Annie Lamott, recognizing, this is a writer, wonderful, wonderful writer, she's recognizing where thoughts go. She says, my mind is like a bad neighborhood. I try not to go there alone. (laughs) (laughs) But that's why we meditate together, you know? It's like, here we are. It's only possible to stay in a limiting sense of who you are if you're constantly listening to your inner narrative because your inner narrative keeps retelling you who you are. It keeps re-putting forth the story of a self. I've found in all the different spiritual traditions I've encountered that in one way or another there are practices to help wake us up out of this thinking trance, out of this kind of narrow, rigid cocoon of thoughts that we spend time in to, br- to break us free so we can then choose. And different, different processes. Some, for some it's dancing, you know, su- Sufi dancing or singing or, or in, some, in some ways different kinds of prayer or chanting. Zen koans do it. You, know, you reflect on a koan and it kind of breaks you out of your, your rational mind. And in the Tibetan lamas it's, it's described how they'll go up to these high desert plains and and dance around wildly and, and, you know, dance and scream and kick and, and flail their arms just to kind of break out of this kind of narrow bind of thoughts that we, we stay in that keep recreating the same small reality. Now, from the Westerners, I was sent this recently. This is a... It said, how to keep a healthy level of insanity, you know, break out. And here are some suggestions. Every time someone asks you to do something, ask if they want fries with that. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Sing along at the opera. (laughs) Finish all your sentences with, in accordance with the prophecy. (laughs) In the memo field of all your checks, write, for sexual favors. Put decaf in the coffee maker for three weeks at work. Once everyone's gotten over their addiction, switch to espresso. (laughs) When money comes out of the ATM, scream, I won, I won, third time this week. (laughs) One more, one more. When leaving the zoo, start running towards the parking lot yelling, run for your lives, they're loose. (laughs) So this is our Western version of waking up out of are (laughs) narrow-minded. Meditation training itself, though, to me is the most direct awakening from the stressing trance in that we're training our attention, we're establishing an embodied presence, we're letting the breath and the life that's right here be our home base, and so we can be more alert to notice, oh, okay, I've been lost in thoughts. And then we come back and there becomes more and more of a sense of the difference 
between being inside any thought and this living, vibrant mystery that's right here. Our thoughts will keep telling us that life is something to be solved. Coming back right here will give us the possibility of living it and of loving fully. So that's the training. Now, how does it actually happen when we're in the stressing trance? And I'll give you an example. So one of my my best examples for myself has been in some recent months I've been, uh, as I've shared with some of you, I'm coming down the home stretch of a book project. Uh, The book's called True Refuge and uh, it's due in September. And a lot of the themes of the book are really how when in the face of the different challenges of life, instead of our habitual ways of fight, flight, freeze, how do we come home to presence? Well, in approaching my deadline, I've been really stressing. (laughs) So I've been living with a little bit of that sense of here, I'm writing about this, and and my stressing has taken the form of um, whatever comes my way that's an added request or demand, um, it feels like an interruption or interference, like I have the thing I want to be doing and should be doing, and everything else is in the way. So I'm living a lot of my moments thinking I should be doing something else. And the other belief, there's not enough time. And when those two beliefs are there, I'm not able to inhabit what I'm doing, the other, the other things, and they could be anything. I mean, they could be that I'm re- a, fa- a family member calls on the phone to say hello, you know, but I should be doing something else. I'm not really there. Um, feeding the dogs, you know, whatever it is. So there's this kind of stressing trance I'm in. So I've, when I'm in it, I'm sp- I get speedy and I get impatient and there's kind of a clench. So I've been practicing with that since it felt like, you know, it'd be a little hip- hypocritical not, not to. <laughs> and what I keep finding myself doing is something will come up and I'll be pulled off what I want to be doing or should be doing and I'll have to pause. And in that pause it gets really interesting because I'll start noticing the thoughts that are going on which, is, which are how to get done with this as quickly as possible, usually. And I'll step out of those thoughts which is really the practice, and come into my body. Now, my body is usually at that point, there's kind of a clench in the heart. So then the practice is stay. Instead of the flight response, which is to speed up and worry and try to get away from the moment, stay. So I start to breathe with that clench. And if I can stay, and it's really interesting, even for 20 seconds, and just breathe and just keep gently saying, stay, stay. In the staying, some space, it's like, it's almost like there's clench and all of a sudden I start finding some softening or space around the clench. And it just untangles itself some and it doesn't mean it's gone, but the who I am has shifted from this stressed person that's trying to get done with an obligatory something to a living in my moment. And you know, who knows if the world's going to end before next September? I'd hate to think I race through my moments on my way to something else, right? Now my example is a, a small one because you might be thinking of a stressor that feels a lot more, um, 
you know, compelling and immediate and painful, but the process is the same. When we're in the stressing trance, we're not here, we're madly trying to get away from our situation, fiddling with the lock, just like Houdini was, either blaming someone else or speeding up or resenting what we're doing like I was, but fiddling to try to get away from this. And what we're doing is we're locking ourselves into stress, into more feelings of I'm separate, more feelings of not okay. So let's um, just take a moment, just practice a little. This is the first part of deconditioning. If the stressing trance is flight, fight, and freeze, tend, or what you might call attend, is the first part of homecoming. So just pause right here, as we do so often, and invite yourself to arrive. If it helps you to feel your breath as a way to collect your attention, please do. You might notice if in your mind or in your body there's anything that is stressing you right now in your life that you're aware of, that you're carrying. And if nothing comes immediately, you don't have to go searching for it. But if there's something that's stressing you, that's in the field of your awareness, just to let it be here. Just like for me, the thought of a deadline, it might be that you have a deadline, something coming up, or a conflict with someone else, or something in your health that's challenging you. So to let the stressor be there. And you might even know, as I did, what you're believing. What's the virtual reality that keeps you uh, kind of charged in the stressing trance. It might be that there's not enough time or that something very bad is going to go wrong or that you're failing in some way. You can sense the, the stressing trance where it agitates to invite yourself just in this moment to let yourself sense there's nothing ahead and there's no past to just see how fully you can be here. We begin to find refuge in the midst of the stressing trance when we step out of the thoughts and just feel this next breath really carefully. And then this one. perhaps listening to the sounds that are right here. To feel the feelings and the sensations in your body, including if there's emotions that are difficult, but just to agree to feel what's here and breathe with it and stay.
and continue to stay and stay some more to tend, attend to what's here the sense in staying, in attending that there's a refuge at the eye of the storm and it's just this very present moment and then this one can you sense some space if you're right here Can you sense the aliveness that's here, the consciousness that's here? what would happen in the midst of stressful situations, in the midst of the stressing trance, if you pause just for 30 seconds, stepped out of the thoughts, and began to create your life out of taking refuge in this moment, in presence. So we begin with the first step in deconditioning the stressing trance, which is tend or attend. Okay, taking a few full breaths and opening your eyes. Now the other primary stressing reaction we have is to fight, and that is just as much a part of our human nervous system, that when things go wrong, we get aggressive, we try to fix them, we go on the attack, we blame others, we blame ourselves. And so the second part of waking up from the stressing trance to befriend does not mean that we don't evaluate what's going on, that we don't set our boundaries, that we don't do everything we need to do to protect ourselves and take care of our world. We do. But where does that energy come from? Can it come from caring versus come from hatred, is the question. So the second step is befriend or friend. And what I found when I work with people that are really stuck in reactivity is that in the moment that there's some remembering to be kind to themselves, even the intention even the intention, even the mind goes, oh yeah, I wish I could be kinder, just that thought. And there is a true beginning of a shift, of an opening. So this is the word metta in Pali, this means friendly or friendship, kindness. When we start bringing in this quality of heart into the midst of a stressing trance, we begin to decondition it we begin to step out. The Buddha said that good friends are the whole of the holy life. 
that in becoming whole it's this quality of friendliness that makes possible a kind of healing of the spirit. I want to share with you um, a story some very good friends just told me this weekend. Uh, these are friends that are from our community here that moved out west, Dory and Ted Langevin, and they're out in uh, Washington State right now. Uh, Ted, um, some years back, served in the military, and they decided together this year that they were going to participate in this uh, event, this annual event called Run for the Wall, which some of you have probably heard of. It's a cross-country motorcycle track of war veterans. And just as background, Dory and Ted have been, you know, ardent peace people at many anti-war rallies. And this was a very huge and interesting experience for them to join in with these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of vets from Vietnam, from Iraq, you know, and a few, or I think a few from World War II, but mostly Vietnam and Iraq that were going on this cross-country track. Now, the purpose of this track is for the healing of the vets. And especially for the new ones that join each year, there's an understanding that for many of them, first of all, the given is that war is trauma. The biggest stress in our lives is some form of war. Okay, so they've had the ultimate stressor. And then for many of them, coming back into a culture and an environment where they were marginalized, that their way, their trauma took shape was not treated, that it made it ruin their lives. And for the Vietnam vets coming into a culture that then turned to, you know, put them as the bad guys in some way or really not appreciating, huge, huge woundedness. So we're talking about an extreme stressing trance that's carried for many people over decades. Well, this run for the wall is, is considered to be like a beautiful healing process. And the way it works is they all get on these motorcycles and they go in formation across the country and towns across the country all receive them and have food for them and places for them to stay and the populations greet them and thank them. They get thanked. In fact, part of the ritual is every morning uh, all the people that are new, all the vets that are new to the group every morning over and over again uh, the rest of the group, the old timers uh, give them this kind of gratitude uh, thank you experience. And then they go to these towns where they're served and the people are saying thank you and I was just, they go to visit some of the vets that are in hospitals in these towns. Um, one description I heard of a World War II vet that was as they were leaving town in, these, in formation, this one elderly man was standing there all alone with a salute, giving his thank you as they left. And as my friend told me this, he was weeping. Because he said, you can't imagine what it's like to see these guys, these, some of these looking, they appear to be hardened biker guys, to see them after day two or three um, being told that what they've done was appreciated and breaking down sobbing, that they held it in for all those years. He said, you cannot believe what it's like to see that. What he's describing to me is, one, is, is to befriend that when our, our stressing 
and our, our, what's going on inside us is met with kindness. We're no longer having to pick the lock in the old ways. The door starts opening, there's some freedom. Because that's what most of us need more than anything, is to be a sense of being loved, being seen and being loved. So we practice with each other in community, helping to wake up out of the stressing trance by just caring about each other. And it's the greatest gift we give each other when we care about each other. I mentioned last class, a 15-second hug changes our biochemistry in a profound way. We start, oxytocin starts, you know, being generated, which is the chemical of bonding and of feeling harmony and ease. Well, that's what we do in community, that's the possibility in community and relationship and friendships, is that we relax ourselves out of the stressing trance. And how does it work? We remember our belonging. Remember that stress arises out of feeling cut off. If you're stressed, you're feeling separate and threatened. Any reminder of belonging, of connection, whether it's for these vets being told that they're appreciated, or for you being hugged by someone, or someone else just um, doing some other generous, sweet act of kindness, a reminder of belonging reduces stress. So we train with each other in waking up in that loving way, and we train in offering kindness to ourselves. The loving-kindness practice, the metta meditation, where we in some way offer care inwardly, counter-stressing. It helps to decondition the stressing trance. One friend of mine described her, her metta practice, which emphasized forgiveness, because that's often the first step of metta. And for many of us, if we want to really wake up out of the stressing trance, the first step is self-forgiveness. Because we're stressed by blaming ourselves. We're believing our thoughts that I'm, I'm blowing it in some way. So it takes forgiveness. For this woman, single mom, she is a professor at a college and she has a, a son and her life's very demanding. I think her son's five years old. And she finds that what will happen is that she'll get short with him and in some way blow up or get irritated and then um, turn on herself viciously. And what she's realized that if in those moments after she's in some way been really imperfect and she says, I've, I've been imperfect, I, I blow it. If instead of becoming vicious, she can pause and befriend. And for her, befriending is very particular. She says to herself, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's okay, sweetheart. It's okay, sweetheart. And she uses the word sweetheart. She talks to herself. She says if she can just say that, what happens is that her whole system shifts and she's able to come to a place with more space and more tenderness and then her way of being with her son, she can apologize, she can be spontaneous, she's naturally more loving. It's not my fault is not let myself off the hook, that was perfectly okay behavior. It's not my fault just recognizes that there's infinite causes and conditions that create our behavior in any moment. 
we would be different if we could be different in that moment, but that's what happened. Can we be kind? And interestingly, being kind and forgiving makes it so we can be more responsible, more able to respond with intelligence and balance and wisdom. So this is what she's found again and again when she just says, it's not my fault. It's okay, sweetheart. That's an example of befriend. So we'll just pause as we did earlier and just explore a little bit of this second part of deconditioning. Again, letting yourself as you pause and come into stillness, arrive right here. Feel the movement of your breath. Feel the life of the body. And you might let come to mind some situation that you know you're in that trance. You know that in retrospect you're caught uh, in some way in fight mode where you're blaming. That's your, your way of dealing with the stress is you're blaming down on yourself. you're choosing some stressful situation where you know you turn on yourself. It could be a situation at work where you feel like you're not performing well or in a relationship that's demanding or conflictual, a home front where the demands are a lot and you act out in some way might be on your own and find that you're not performing the way you want to, your mind's not working well. Whatever it is, let yourself imagine and go right to that situation so that if you're watching a movie you can take it right to the frame where you feel really stuck, where you're stuck and you're down on yourself. You might even hear in your mind what you tell yourself or it might be a feeling in your body. Imagine if in this stressful situation you could truly pause as this woman did that I described, and very intentionally offer yourself some kindness. It might be that you put your hand on your heart just for a moment and just with that that kind of gentle touch just send the message of, it's okay, I care, this is hard. It might be that you say, forgiven, forgiven, just to let go of what you're holding against yourself. Or it's not my fault. If it helps you to talk to yourself, it's okay, sweetheart, whatever it is. And you can experiment. It's not a one, you have to choose something now, but one way of send kindness inward. 
some kindness. And just notice what happens when there's some remembrance that you can be kind towards yourself. What happens? When we're caught in the stressing trance, we're leaving our experience, so we come back by attending, by tending. We're often fighting against ourselves or others, so we come home by befriending. We come now to the last piece of of the um, pathways to freedom, which I call expand, just because tend, befriend, and expand. Expand was the only word I could come up with. (laughs) But it actually fits when you think of if it's fight, flight, freeze, and freeze is very stuck, expand is very much unstuck. We expand when we remember the background of experience, the space that's here, the awareness that's here. When we're in the stressing trance, our attention, if you'll remember, is fixed and narrow. So there's a certain freedom that comes when we completely open up our attention. Now, one of the teachers I love, Chogyam Trungpa, no longer alive, great Tibetan teacher, once was with a large group of people and he put up a big piece of white poster paper, pinned it up on the wall, and he put a little V on it. And he asked them, well, what is this? And they all basically said, it's a bird. And he said, no, it's the sky with a bird flying through it. You sense the shift there. You see it in Asian art versus Western art, where in Asian art there's much more of an awareness of the space that everything's happening in. Western, it's much more of a focus of the objects, the foreground. Let me read you a poem that I love. And this is called Fire by Judy Brown. What makes a fire burn is space between the logs, a breathing space. Too much of a good thing, too many logs packed in too tight, can douse the flames almost as surely as a pail of water would. So building fires requires attention to the spaces in between as much as to the wood. When we are able to build open spaces in the same way we have learned to pile on the logs, then we can come to see how it is fuel and the absence of fuel together that makes fire possible. We only need to lay a log lightly from time to time. A fire grows simply because the space is there, with openings in which the flame that knows just how it wants to burn can find its way. When we're in a trance, there's no space. We have forgotten the background of experience. So this third quality of paying attention, this remembering space, is really intrinsic to coming into wholeness and freedom. If we really want to be fully awake from the stressing trance, remembering space. Now, a very brief uh, vignette, 
Les Femi, who's a clinical psychologist and researcher who wrote The Open Focus Brain, and I've been referring some to it in the last two talks, had been in researching stress, become, you know, more, found more and more how when we're in our optimal non-stress state of relaxed and alert, like really a meditative state of relaxed and alert, the brain waves are, there's a kind of synchronous phasing alpha states. It's, when we're stressed, it's high beta, you know, much faster, speedier. With the high beta, our attention's narrow and fixed. With the relaxed and um, alert alpha states, here's what he found. He gave volunteers a number of the different kinds of meditation or attentional strategies with the question of what will most get them into alpha, okay? He wanted to know what was going to accomplish this relaxed, um, attentive state. And so they did all these different kinds of meditation. Then he asked them to imagine the space between their eyes. And you might close your eyes for a moment. Just imagine the space between your eyes. And he imagined the, asked them to imagine the space between their ears. And then the whole volume of space in their whole head. And continued asking questions like that. Can you imagine the space between your shoulders? The space between the front of your hand and the back of your hand. Between your breastbone and your heart. And your heart and your spinal column. And the whole space or volume of the chest area. And imagine the space inside your whole body, the space that's around you, and that there's really no difference between that inner and outer space. So you can just let go and sense that space everywhere. What he discovered as he invited people to explore space the sky, space between the logs, was that all the machines went to high amp alpha right away. None of the other meditations went right there. But as soon as people went to objectless awareness, okay, just to space, that brainwave state, that synchronous brainwave state was there. And what his theory is, is that the realization of space resets all the neural networks. And then it affects vision and all your other senses as well. This is what's called open focused attention when we're not narrowing on a thought or an object inside our mind or outside. There's just that openness. So if you haven't already opened your eyes, it's fine to open your eyes. So this is the last piece of the training that deconditions the trance is to not only know how to pay attention right now to the sensations that are here, the sounds, to not only know how to befriend what's here, but to know how to turn the attention to a sense of the space that everything's happening in. 
how to become aware of the silence that's listening to sound or to the stillness that's aware of all the vibrational dynamic happening the sky that the bird is flying through it takes waking up out of thoughts this is Srinar Sargadatta. he says the real world is beyond our thoughts and ideas we see it through the net of our desires divided into pleasure and pain right and wrong, inner and outer to see the universe as it is you must step beyond the net it is not hard to do for the net is full of holes so we close with a um, final meditation we'll take all these elements these three basic elements of ten, befriend and expand so we started with Houdini locking himself in that busyness really the way of waking up out of the stressing trance isn't more doing it's a simple pausing it's a relaxed attention so wherever you are now just to sense the habit is to think this life is a problem to be solved the possibility is to live this mystery and to love without holding back we wake up out of the stressing trance with the simplicity of pausing just to notice right this moment the possibility of just saying to yourself gently okay stop whatever thinking whatever leaning forward whatever notion of the future or the past just to pause and in that pause to tend or attend to what's right here just to gently notice how it is for you fresh once more right this moment to befriend what's here regarding the moment-to-moment experience with a gentle and kind attention so that you're sensing the foreground sounds, sensations, aliveness and also sense the background the presence that's here this wakeful openness that everything's happening in to see the universe as it is you must step beyond the net it is not hard to do so for the net is full of holes
just to sense the openness that's already here the stillness that's here the silence As we come home to that space, that openness, we then can celebrate the life with a freshness and a tenderness, with a wholeheartedness of being. Namaste. The talk you just listened to has been freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation, learn more about my schedule or about programs offered by the Insight Meditation Community of Washington, please visit either my website, which is tarabrock.com, or IMCW site, which is imcw.org. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.